And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Freeze frame. You're probably wondering what this is all about and how we got here. Breaking news uh, via the 11 Personnel podcast. Um, the Rams have waived rookie kicker, seventh round pick, Samuel Sloman. And at initially, we had thought that maybe he would be brought back on the practice squad, but NFL Network is reporting uh, just a few minutes later that actually the Rams are bringing back Austin McGinnis for that practice squad spot, thereby sort of free-releasing Samuel Sloman in in exchange for Kai Forbath, who is on the roster, the active roster, was signed um, last week, and replacing Samuel Sloman's practice squad opportunity with the kicker that he allegedly beat in training camp. Rich, what are your thoughts? I'm dizzy. I don't. I don't know how to process all of this, um, Jordan. My my thought is that one day, I hope that somebody leaks the footage of this mysterious final week session where Samuel Sloman was just so good that he had to be kept on the roster because uh, it apparently happened. But it's it's like this this mysterious. Yeah, he was great when when you guys didn't see anything. Uh, right. <laughs> so I'm not saying it didn't happen. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, I, I just will always be baffled kind of by the, um, I think it's fair to say, disconnect between what you saw, Jordan, and what all of the other beat reporters and uh, even some fans saw and the decision that ended up being made because uh, it didn't quite seem to connect. Uh, on the other hand, I applaud the Rams uh, for making a move. They, You never want to double down on a mistake. That's sure. the worst thing you can do. Uh, so I, I applaud them for, for making the move that they did. And now I guess everybody goes into a brave new world with Kai Forbath. Yeah, I mean, I guess. And, and I think, you know, people are asking, why not Liram? Liram Haruhu was really the most accurate in what we saw um, in our sessions that we were allowed to watch, um, we saw Liram as the most accurate. However, Liram Haruluhu also had an issue with range and kickoff distance. So that was, as we know, one of the major reasons that the Rams were having issues with Samuel Sloman is because Sean McVay pinpointed an area publicly. It's very rare for him to do this. Publicly pinpointed an area in which Samuel Sloman needed to perform, and that was kicking out of the back of the end zone against a dynamic deep end zone returner such as Cordell Patterson on Monday night. And he did not do so on four of his five attempts. And Liram Haruluhu was having a little bit of an issue with range, even in a windless stadium as SoFi. I mean, it was a little windy, um, obviously yesterday, but, um, you know, it, it, it it's a pretty enclosed place. So having an issue with that kickoff distance, um, Austin McGinnis, you know, it, he's depth. I don't think he's going to maybe necessarily come in and take Kai Forbath's spot. But 
really where they're having an issue here with Samuel was the height on his kicks because they were just getting blocked. He had four blocks in seven games, three PATs, one field goal. And, you know, you have to get the height on that, first of all, and then you have to get the distance as well. So that was the issue. I don't, you know, I haven't seen enough of Kai Forbath yet to know what his his range is. His his, um, touchback percentage is about the same as Samuel Sloman's, but his average is, um, you know, his average was like 30%. But that was before the rule change. And then his average post-rule change is 65%. So, you know, it's just going to be really – basically what I'm getting at is things are a mess and <laughs> never – you should you should never uh, somehow find yourself in a in a kicking competition. <laughs> well, you know what? And and this is where I'll, I'll uh, you know, give credit to some Rams fans. I mean, this was a big topic of discussion during the offseason when they decided to basically let Greg Zerline go. I mean, he's a free agent, but it was it was pretty clear that they, they weren't going to re-sign him. And that was a big decision. And at the time, I, I wrote, and probably we talked about on the podcast, that I understood it. Uh, Greg Zerline did some amazing things with the Rams. Uh, it just He was an extraordinary kicker at times. But he also had some consistency issues. He had some injury issues. His contract was coming up, so you were going to have to pay him a little bit of money. And obviously, they had some other areas where they needed to spend money. However, and a lot of people made this point, and and I understood it at the time, when you go into the great unknown, oh my goodness. I mean, you when you're talking about that, that, that dipping your to, uh, toe into the pool of kickers, you don't know what's in that water. And to, to give up on, on, not to give up on, but to, to part with Greg Zerline, uh, yeah, he had some issues. Maybe things were starting to trend a little bit in the wrong direction, but he basically was a known qual- uh, quantity. And uh, doing what they did, I understood it. I supported it at the time, so I'm not going to walk that back now. But this is the flip side. The flip side is you don't know what you're going to get. And that's what happened to the Rams. And it should be said, Jordan, too, that they don't know what they're going to get with Kai Forbath either. Uh, I know a lot of fans will be uh, you know, happy about this move and, and excited, but you're trading one unknown for the other. So you, you can approach it with hope and, and, and believe that things are going to get better, but you're, you're walking into just as many questions as, as you've left behind. Yeah. And, you know, I do think, like you said, it, it was good um, correction by the Rams. This is a football team that I think prior to maybe even this iteration of the Sean McVay era maybe would have stuck with those decisions because for the sake of sticking with them. And and honestly, like it is hard to say because you already let go of one of your seventh round picks in Clay Johnston because he just he he just wasn't clicking, he wasn't getting it. Um, you know, great kid, but just wasn't completely getting up to speed in the way that he should have been and maybe needed some more time after that that season ending knee injury the year prior. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard to say, okay, well, our other seventh round pick also is not working out at a much more crucial position, you know? So maybe you see if he has something that he showed, especially in crunch time when he was in college, but they just, the things that were the, the main issue were just the, the things that they publicly wanted to correct, but had not been corrected. So yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a complicated situation. It's really hard to get it right on kickers because there's so much stuff, 
so many variables um, from kick to kick. And yeah, I agree with you, Rich. I mean, at some point you think, okay, well, would they have been better sticking with the veteran or what, you know, what's the deal here? But I think they're now hoping in Kai Forbath, you do have somebody who's a little bit more experienced. So when the going gets rough, knows how to correct and and knows how to um, sort of tune up some of those variables that they had issues with, with Samuel Sloman. Yeah, I agree. And I thought maybe that's the direction they would go after after they did part with, with Greg Zerline or after he signed with, with Dallas. You know, maybe, do, you, do you turn it over to a rookie or do you uh, do you go with somebody who's a little more experienced now? You know, obviously a team like Indianapolis Indianapolis went with Rodrigo Blankenship and that's been going very well. And uh, my, my 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 Twitter mentions tell me that the Rams uh, should have should have drafted him instead. And to which I counter that he was in one of my mock drafts. Uh, so so you're you're preaching to the choir a little bit there. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a little bit of a correction to okay, you know, Kai Forbath is not going to probably be an All Pro kicker at this point, but He's somebody who's been through this before. It's not going to be new to him, and uh, we'll see. Jordan, what do you think about, because you know Austin McGinnis comes in, do you think there's any kind of situation where uh, maybe one guy handles kickoffs and, and the other guy handles field goals and PATs? Are they, getting, are they going to get that granular with it if, if they do decide that they want to keep two kickers around? Yeah, um, I asked Sean about this back when training camp started, and he was – um, I would say like the facial expression reaction <laughs> to the idea of wasting a roster spot on a guy who can't do both things um, was not for him. He wants one guy to be able to handle both jobs. However, um, if it's a necessity at some point that they have to keep two, um, you know, that's really inefficient football first of all to waste a roster spot on a guy who's doing maybe one thing for you um it's really really inefficient special teams management as well because um you know at a certain point what do you you know how you're not really developing a guy long term if he can never handle a kickoff for you you're automatically tying one hand behind your back in terms of roster management and I and so I don't think they want to go that direction but if they have to, um, you know, they've got some insurance on, on the roster now. Well, yeah, the situation changes. I mean, I understand what Sean's thinking is there, but uh, he, he's he's making those facial expressions at a point when, when he was hoping for the best and probably believing that one guy could, could handle all those things. And, um, you know, the situation's changed here in the last uh, couple months or last few right. weeks. So, yeah. Hey, I, I'm I'm down for a good kicker uh, kicker debate here. So I know this is going to be going on for uh, the next little while. And uh, again, I applaud the Rams for the move. I know a lot of people are going to second guess and uh, be very angry about the decisions that they made. And I get it, but uh, kickers are kickers. That's just that's just kind of how it goes. Kickers, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's my uh, that's my catchphrase of the year, I guess. And now. We're going to take you back to your regularly scheduled 11 personnel programming. Thanks for bearing with us, guys. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Doing well, Jordan. The Rams, five and two. 
I'm still not entirely sure they've beaten a, a great team yet, or even a good team, or even above average team. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But that defensive performance was really, really something else. And how about that timing, Jordan? Somebody I know, somebody I know wrote a great story <laughs> on Monday morning all about the Rams' new defense and everything that Brandon Staley is bringing, how they're using those players, how the scheme uh, works. Jordan, you did a great story on that. And how about that timing, right? Then the Rams come out and, and have a great defensive performance against the Chicago Bears. Yeah, that's always nice. You know, like <laughs> I was, I, I co-bylined that piece. Uh, it was a, if you guys haven't checked it out over at The Athletic LA, I'll be sharing it out a few more times this week uh, just because it still held up, which is great because sometimes, you know, you'll write a story and it'll be about a player and then he gets hurt or it'll be about a, a, a coach and then they kind of just fall off a cliff and don't perform the way that maybe they had indicated they would in the story. And this was not the case. Um, and I kind of got this sense from Brandon Staley the last week and a half or so that he was kind of going into this game a little bit chippy, not in a overt way, but he is a former Chicago Bears assistant coach. I, I always wonder, and I think this is true for Sean McVay as well. I always think about how nice it might feel to beat your former team, not necessarily because you have anything against them. You could have had the best experience ever, but they still didn't hire you in the position you're in now with another team. So at the end of the day, you want to show them that you're thriving. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> It's like your ex, like you just want to show them, <laughs> you just want to show them that you're thriving. Right. And so, um, so I, I really did think that this was really an important one for, for Brandon Staley. It was funny. I was, I was working with Ted, our fantastic, uh, film analysis guy. I mean, the, the way that Ted breaks down film is incredible and he's, he's really great in this piece, uh, with his Ted's takes because he takes sort of the anecdotal items within this defense that I'm able to describe and he actually shows them and, and gets a little bit even more granular with what the, the technique is and what the different things are based on the ph philosophy that I have been studying um, with Brandon Staley's defense. So if you haven't read it yet, check it out. It still holds up. Their stats are actually a little bit better now that they are the second uh, best uh, scoring defense, which is always funny phrasing to me because being the second best scoring defense means you're not letting people score on you. So, right. um, they're, they're averaging 17.7 .7 points allowed per game as a defense and 3.3 in the second half um, of their last three games, which is remarkable to me. It's pretty extraordinary, Jordan. And uh, of course, the final score Monday night ends up being 24 to 10 in the Rams favor. But the touchdown that the Bears got was not an offensive touchdown. If anybody didn't watch all of the game, uh, there was a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. So that uh, seven of those points do not go on, on the ledger of the Rams defense. They only allowed three points. And, and again, just... How do you look at this, Jordan? Because I know this is kind of a season-long conversation we're having here about quality of opponent. Uh, but again, you can only play the team that's in front of you. You can't make your own schedule. And, and I just thought that the, the effort that that defense put together, I mean, the Bears did nothing. Uh, and and I, I know their, their offense has been struggling independent of, 
of whoever they play. But uh, the run game, they, they averaged just under three yards per carry, so they weren't doing anything there. Uh, Nick Foles, I, I mean, he was under pretty good pressure. He's, he's not the most mobile guy. He's not going to avoid the pressure a whole lot. Uh, Rams got to him four times with sacks intercepted him twice. I, I, I don't know how much more you can do. There, there were a couple drives there where the Bears, you know, they, they did get some tempo going and, and they got down the field, but they couldn't turn it into anything. They couldn't get in the end zone and, and they really couldn't sustain much momentum at all. So uh, how do you how do you look at this one, Jordan? I mean, obviously the quality of, of offense isn't, isn't that great, but I, I thought it was uh, on, all, on all three levels. I thought that was a pretty solid uh, defense or performance for the Rams. Yeah, but I don't I don't necessarily care as much that it wasn't a great offense that they're facing. Like, I think we, I think we can establish that the bears are somewhat fraudulent. I think that a couple of their wins, they squeaked by very, very luckily they've got, they got some bounces that landed their way. And they also, um, were, were the product of other teams mistakes. And so I I don't think that they were necessarily coming into it like the most five in one team I've ever seen. I, I did not put them at that at all, but that defense is remarkable. And so anytime you have a defense like that, that defense, what they, what they do, not just, you know, doing well against other offenses, but they set their own offense up in positions to be successful. Mm -hmm. And then now you have a veteran quarterback. I mean, I don't, you know, Nick Foles is Nick Foles, right? But he's played a lot of football and a lot of different levels um, he's savvier than, of, of course, savvier than Mitch Trubitsky. Um, thank God that experiment's over. But, um, you know, he, he's he's much savvier than him at at reading things and, and seeing things. And I think that the, the Rams, what I think made this such a decisive win was that the Rams took what, a look at a an actual veteran quarterback who's proven in crunch time and they looked at a you know a, a play caller who it sounds like there's some disconnect between himself and the quarterback yeah well the rams look at that and they say okay how do we capitalize off of that how do we assert on defense instead of react and that's that's what i think makes this such a decisive win is you know offense the offense we'll get to the rams offense but there's some things very clearly to work out there However, this defense went from reacting and adjusting during halftime, right, and and sort of reacting to what the opposing offenses were showing and then getting it together at halftime and then shutting everyone out after the half. And instead, they came out immediately and asserted. And they asserted and they did not take their foot off the gas the entire game. And so I think that detail specifically makes this um, a decisive win, regardless of opponent. You look at some of the personnel, the, the Bears have, I think, a really terrible offensive line, but they they really are, they're not, this isn't their first time on the block, you know, like they, they have the ability to make certain things happen at least, right? Their offense is not good, but there's enough veterans on that in that group and enough, you know, savvy from Nick Foles and from Matt Nagy that like, it's, it's not, you didn't expect them to maybe roll over as much as they did. Right. Right. So I I think that, but in part, I think a lot of that is, is what the Rams defense was able to achieve. This is the most complete game 
I've seen from the Rams defense. No, do I think they have played a complete game against one of the top offenses in the NFL yet? No. But this is a stepping stone game that they needed because they understood now what it feels like to assert through the entire game, not let an offense happen to you, to happen to an offense, as Brandon Staley likes to say. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, and I think that was a huge difference from the previous week against the 49ers where they were just, it seemed like they were on their heels at the start. And again, give credit to the 49ers. We talked about that last week. They had a good plan and they executed it well. But uh, like you said, it didn't seem like that Rams defense really got its its feet set um, until the second half. And, and on Monday night, it was a much different story. I mean, coming out, they, they, they win the toss again, every game now, right? What's, what's going on there? They, they know, yeah, they must have one. a weighted coin or something. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so the Bears get the ball. They pick up one first down. They have to punt near midfield. Uh, they get the ball back three and out. So there you go. Like right there, you're setting the tone for that Rams uh, defense, which was just something very different than you saw in the 49ers game or certainly like in the Buffalo game uh, where, where they really, like you said, is, you said it perfectly there, Jordan, Bears repeating, you know, uh, asserting yourself instead of reacting. And, and that was a big, big difference, uh, I, I think, in, in this game is, is they were able to do that from the beginning. And I think, I know we'll talk about the offense too, but, you know, you talk about how the Bears defense can uh, kind of set things up for the for their offense. I think you could say the same for the Rams, you know, that when you, mm-hmm. when you get a solid defensive start like that, I think it kind of calms everybody down and you can kind of do what you want to do and, and not have to feel that pressure uh, to where you're like, oh, now we've got to outscore this team. You can just kind of do what you do. And uh, they, they did that pretty well. But and Jordan, we uh, uh, Leonard Floyd, Leonard Primetime yeah. Floyd, right? Uh, who uh, one of our colleagues at the Athletic came up with a, a stat, right, about how uh, much more effective he is in a statistical sense, anyway, uh, in those in those night games, those those uh, primetime games, and two sacks uh, against his former team, and and a quarterback, an extra quarterback hit there. Uh, got a game ball. Uh, I know he was very proud of that uh, after the game, but this is what they needed, right? How many times have we talked about getting that outside pressure and, and what it can do uh, for the Rams? And uh, I don't know, I guess we'll see if it's sustainable, but for, for one night, uh, Leonard Floyd provided a lot of it. I know for once someone ended a game with more sacks than Aaron Donald. Isn't that (laughs) remarkable? That doesn't usually happen. So, you know, it's, I mean, even tr- when Troy Reader had his three sacks, Aaron's like, okay, well, man, I'm going to go get four. <laughs> so, right. you know, so it's, it was really, um, 
a couple, a couple of things I liked, um, about what they did with their pressure. First of all, they dialed up different types of pressure in a way that I, it was, I think more aggressive than we'd seen from Brandon Staley in past games. They were blitzing more. You saw Jalen Ramsey do a little bit of a delayed blitz, uh, a couple of times, which was really, I think, interesting. Cause I think Jalen Ramsey's way, way smart enough to be able to handle the kind of cadence and timing that you need to do something like that. And so they were dialing up pressure in a variety of different ways. Um, you saw Aaron Donald being effective, you know, pro football focus, um, 10 quarterback pressures on 36 pass rush snaps, which, so Nick Foles is being pressured one third, essentially one third of every pass rush snap, um, which is insane to me. Um, but, but what he was also doing was helping push the pocket to where Nick Foles was not comfortable and sometimes moving sideways laterally into the arms of other players. And what I really liked too was Leonard Floyd stepping up. So the stats, Kevin Fishbane over at the athletic Chicago, the original athletic site, shout out. Um, mm-hmm. they found this really cool stat and I'm going to read it to you. So Leonard Floyd in 18 primetime games has 11 career sacks. Okay. In 43, just regular afternoon games, he has 11 and a half sacks. So he is basically producing at over two times the rate in primetime games. Wow. Which is like good for Leonard, right? Because the Rams brought this guy in and he was very much a cast off. And, and the word sounds so harsh, so I hate using it. But, um, you know, he's very, very much a cast off from the bears because he just didn't sort of live up to their own expectations, had a couple of staff changes. What we heard was he really liked uh, working with Brandon Staley though, because Brandon Staley saw something in him that was, you know, there was, there's potential there, but he wasn't um, out kicking his coverage in terms of he, he, he could see what, who Leonard Floyd is and what he's capable of, but he wasn't putting that sort of, okay, you're a top 10 pick. You should have 15 sacks a year kind of pressure on him because that's just not, um, that's just not who Leonard Floyd is going to be for you. And so they bring him into the Rams and they're like, listen, Leonard, what a great name too, by the way. Why, why do I love that name so much, <laughs> Leonard? Um, anyway, they're, they're like, listen, Leonard, we don't need you to get 15 or even 10 sacks this year. It would be great. We don't need that from you. We need you to set a really good edge to defend the run well, make effort plays, and we need you to step up when your number is called. Well, this past week, his number was called, and he comes away with two sacks. He gets a game ball and cradles the game ball up at the podium, which was wonderful. <laughs> like, he wasn't letting that thing go, and, and, and deservedly so, because I think I would have to think as a player, probably more so than a coach even, as a player, it – it stings when you are just told for four years, five years that you're not living up to your expectations, but they were someone else's expectations placed upon you. And maybe you, you feel like you weren't being set up to be successful in, in that, in that way. And so Leonard comes to Los Angeles and they're like, Hey man, do your thing. Like, we're going to leave you alone. <laughs> like just right. do your thing and is really, really happy here. And I think that that's, something notable about this organization too on a bigger scale and not to get too far off topic is the players who come here seem to find just so much comfort. You see it with Jalen Ramsey as well. They're just be yourself. Don't be, you know, 
don't be a jerk to people. I'm not that anyone would be, but like be yourself, be kind, stay hydrated, keep the ecosystem intact and just do your thing. We're going to leave you alone and just like kind of be your buddy and support you. Right. That's kind of what the Rams are. Um, Mm -hmm. especially the hydration and ecosystem (laughs) part. Um, (laughs) but yeah, that stat is, is incredible. I don't think I am still concerned that the Rams are not consistently dialing up outside pressure and and they're, they're obviously going to, um, I, I think at this point probably address that more so in the draft in the spring than maybe necessarily in, you know, on the, on the waivers or the trade market, things like that, just because they're getting oboe back, um, you know, later in the year. So they hope they get him back after the bye, And he was doing really well. Terrell Lewis is stepping up to the plate, made a big stop yesterday, uh, made a big stop Monday night. So, you know, I, I think that they're thinking things are coming along, but they're probably going to still address that position in the draft. But it was so interesting to see how the pieces started to work together. You know, Aaron Donald creating that interior pressure, forcing um, at times Nick Foles to just straight up run away from him and into the arms of another player. Justin Hollins was a benefactor of that late in the game. And I liked what they were doing with their front seven. They they weren't asking also, they weren't asking too much of their linebackers, which I thought was notable as well. Yeah. Again, I thought that was a good all three phase game and uh, the secondary too. I mean, it goes without saying when you get a couple interceptions, but uh, very good plays there. I mean, uh, Troy Hill deserves, uh, you know, some applause for, for a couple of the plays he made directly leading to the interception on Taylor Rapp and, uh, you know, making a couple other really good plays. Jalen Ramsey comes up with his first interception of the season. So uh, I, th- I think they the, the DBs kind of had their, their ears out a little bit, you know, kind of knowing like, okay, he's... You know, Nick Foles is going to be under some pressure here. He's going to be making some throws that maybe, uh, if you're a quarterback, you don't like to make sometimes. And uh, let's 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 keep looking. Let's let's look for our spots here. And they took advantage of of a few of those. But uh, Jordan, I think you said that so well about Leonard Floyd. And uh, I remember when the Rams brought him in kind of thought, you know, the best case scenario is another Dante Fowler because you don't want to compare, uh, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's situation is different. But Dante was another guy who was in Jacksonville, very high expectations. The production wasn't there. They got down on him. He got down on mm-hmm. them. He got down on himself. And the whole thing just was not going to work anymore. And he got a fresh start in L.A., brought in a very good attitude, uh, like you said, he you know was accepted in the locker room and and was accepting of his new role and thrived. And it's it's a little bit of a different thing that they're asking Leonard Floyd to do, uh, more more of that Clay Matthews replacement uh, than the role that that you just described so well. But uh, it, it seems like he has the potential. At least we'll see. It's it's still early, but but he has the potential to just kind of settle in there and and be his own man, be his own player. And, and not be not feel the pressure to to live up to the expectations that, that were on him in Chicago so that that can make a big difference uh, for players just to be in a new environment and, and to have uh, you know somebody like Brandon Staley who he's already comfortable with um, it, uh, it has to be a, a big bonus so we'll see it's one game won't make too much mm-hmm. of it just yet but I think right. you saw the potential in, in what that could be and, and what the Rams were, were looking at. Jordan, the only question I have left about the the Rams defense, uh, at least coming out of this game, uh, the the depth now, you know, uh, unfortunately, and my goodness, you look at Terrell Burgess, you, you talk about people stepping up, 
and he got in there uh, pretty early on because of the you know the injury to Jordan Fuller uh, gives gives Trail Burgess a little bit more of an opportunity and gosh he you know he he makes a couple good plays there and then suffers we don't know yet but suffers what what looked to be a pretty serious ankle injury. Um, I know they showed him having to get uh, an air cast and, and having to leave the field on the cart. So anytime you see that, it's it's not a good thing. Um, but what do we think about the depth there, uh, Jordan? Because now you've got a guy like Nick Scott uh, coming in and, and playing some significant role. Um, is, is they still have enough there, knowing how important those those safeties are to, to what Brandon Staley likes to do? Yeah, that's that's a big blow to them because not, not only was Terrell Burgess filling in for Jordan Fuller, but also Terrell Burgess is a really good football player. Yeah. And at some point is going to have a more much more featured role within the defensive backfield. Brandon Staley really, really likes his safeties, like really likes them. How much John Johnson is calling signals for them. He does not come off the field. They use their safeties as linebackers sometimes. They use them as dimes sometimes. They use them um, even in sort of a larger nickel package. So they they are a very commanding presence on the field. Um, I thought Nick Scott came in after Terrell Burgess got hurt. I thought Nick Scott did some good things. Um, he was always around the ball in terms of swarming to the tackle. Um, he what he. What Nick Scott has to be if he's going to be the guy rotating in, because because obviously they're going to play some Taylor Rapp as well. But when they do some of these sub packages where they add the extra defensive backs um, in sort of linebacker support or middle of the field support, um, you know, you, you sometimes will want that third safety in there. And so when he is in there, when, when Taylor Rapp and John Johnson's on the field and maybe Nick Scott has to rotate in, you know, all he has to do is be consistent, and he is one of the more consistent, just all-around stable guys on the roster. People gravitate toward Nick Scott because he is just solid for them. He's really solid on special teams for them. This is a young man who is someone who is going to be around for a long time, one of the very rare "Quote unquote special teams lifers that you don't see in the league anymore. I mean, I think it was what like Heath Farwell and Colin Jones were the last ones, right? So th- these are guys who make their mark on special teams and they stay with the team for like eight to ten years because of just how solid they are. And so if Nick Scott does get, re- get repped in, um, which I would assume they'll rescheme and limit if Terrell Burgess is is out for a significant amount of time, they just have to make it through this game." coming up against Miami because they have a bye week on the other side of it, which is time for everybody to rest. And then they get Jordan Fuller back after that. So you can buy some time if you make it through Miami and you scheme around it. And obviously having Nick Scott stand up and, and just be stable. He doesn't have to be like the, the guy making all the plays. He just has to be where he's supposed to be and be stable. And I think they can, I think they can certainly work around it. Where I obviously am concerned is, you know, Miami, a little bit up and down at times, but they have, they do have Mike Jasicki, who ironically Nick Scott played with in college ah. at Penn State, um, but knows his game very well and knows how if he get really gets going and can show consistency, um, he's very very hard to defend as a tight end in the middle of the field on the outside. Anything anything you do, so. I am concerned about their depth there. You know, you go you go from the beginning of the season where you're like, what are you going to do with all of these outstanding defensive backs mm-hmm. that you have on your roster? And then Brandon Staley's like, well, actually, I'm going to rotate them in a crap load. 
And so you, you really, that's another thing, Rich, didn't you love seeing just from a football watchers perspective, the creativity, this is really where you saw Jalen Ramsey really start to thrive within that star position. Yeah. He got beat. He did get beat a couple of times Monday night. Got, got lucky. I think on one or two of those, um, especially that, that long deep pass to Nick full from Nick Foles at the end. And then there was one, um, I believe earlier on that he missed that, that, uh, yeah. could have been a touchdown, but wasn't, you know, uh, and, and it was because of, by the way, it was because of pressure from the outside right. that made Nick Foles miss the throw. Um, but it would have definitely been six. And, and so Jalen, I thought, um, played very well other than those two things, but also you, you really saw, I think a lot of that secondary rotation that I've been just, um, r- like ranting about and rambling about since training camp, you kind of saw it. Um, you saw it in action and, and Jalen was playing close to the slide. He was blitzing. He was in run support. He would kick out to the outside at times. Um, Troy Hill had a nice game on the outside, um, batted down a pass that Taylor Rapp intercepted. You know, I, I think, Guys are, I think they're, I mean, I don't know. Do you, I kind of get a sense that they're just like, they have fun in this system. I really think so, especially in that secondary where you're rotating. And, and now I've gone off on some sort of tangent for you, Rich, because I know we were talking about Terrell Burgess. But basically, they have a wealth of, right. of talent at defensive back. And, and so if they've been rotating this much already, I just think that as they scheme around missing a guy like Terrell Burgess, I just think you're going to see them just continue to rotate and, um, and just kind of trust the guys that know the system to be where they need to be. Yeah. And, and that's, this is what Sean McVay was looking for. I I mean, if you, if you look back to the things he said when, when they hired Brandon Staley and the things we heard, uh, you know, from front office sources and things like that, this is what he wanted and this is what he's getting. And it's, it's working pretty well in, in terms of Brandon Staley and that ability to, to be so multiple to, you know, not just run one thing at you. He's going to run so many different things um, at you. And uh, it's going to continue to evolve because you just mentioned, you know, what's coming up, the Tua Bowl, the Tua Bowl is coming up uh, against Miami. So a whole different element. Uh, and they, they don't, obviously they have a lot of tape of, of Tua from Alabama, uh, but they don't have pretty much anything at all from, from him running that Miami offense and, and how he's going to like to use those uh, those offensive weapons there. So uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. And and then, of course, coming after after that, after the bye week, then you've got Russell Wilson uh, and, right. and an, an offense that is always, always difficult. So uh, the, the, the fact that the Rams already have shown so much and those players already have shown the ability uh, to do so many different things, I think is only going to pay more dividends uh, down the line against some of these offenses that they're they're going to play, but just to just to put a point on on what you said, Jordan, uh, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, I was thinking about it, and it's it's it seems hard for me to think of a cornerback having such an impact on the game like that. I mean, you you can look right. at a top cornerback and say, okay. That guy is great. He locked down that number one receiver. Or he he locked down that side of the field for for the entire game, and th- and that's good. That don't get me wrong. That that's a that's an admirable quality. But the number of things that the Jalen Ramsey can do now in in this Rams defense, and the things that he can do well, um, in and we're only uh, seven games in. You know, after no off season, no OTAs, anything like that. I, I 
would probably think he's still just kind of learning and, and they're learning uh, what he can do within that defense. But wow, like you said, never going to be perfect. And there were a couple plays there where if they had, yeah. you know, if Nick Foles did have another second uh, there to, to throw the ball, it might have been a different story. Uh, but again, you're, you're talking about how many times during the game is Jalen Ramsey in those uh, kind of high leverage situations and, and how many times does he make the play? And it's, it's, it's an extraordinary number. Um, so to see that uh, kind of evolve and, and to see – Brandon Staley's vision for Jalen Ramsey uh, kind of come to life on the field, I, I think, is is, is very uh, in, very intriguing to see. And you can see why the Rams uh, put so much money into Jalen Ramsey, uh, knowing yeah. how important he was going to be. Uh, to, yeah. To the and, you know, oh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Rich, I totally interrupted nope. you. I just got so excited. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, one thing that still ba- that baffles me is that I still get people in my mentions who are or comments that who are mad that he's playing sometimes in the slot and it's like oh don't get cute and all this I I would like to directly address those people at this time. Okay. Um here's my statement. <laughs> um <laughs> I I as strongly as possible disagree with the logic that dictates that it's too cute to play your best player closer to where all of the action is happening. Um, I think that there are so many things that are valuable in, in having a lockdown corner, which just because Jalen sometimes is in the slot, by the way, does not mean that he's not still the lockdown outside corner if they need him to be. Right. Let's say you have a let's say you have a, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers situation where First of all, big challenge. Um, second of all, you probably need to have someone floating with Mike Evans. You just do. That's just the, the type of um, of player. Or like a Arizona Cardinals situation. Yes, you know that you're going to need to cover Larry Fitzgerald from the slot, but your immediate emergency attention must go to DeAndre Hopkins on the outside. So yes, Jalen Ramsey is going to still be that sort of island guy, right? Mm -hmm. But as teams sort of gravitate away from wherever the quote-unquote lockdown outside corner is, and great, if you can shut down one side of the field, fantastic, right? But what teams can do now, because they have so much more versatility, they're using more receivers, thanks to Sean McVay and his 11 personnel, other teams across the league are using 11 personnel at a higher rate than ever before. And that means that they, if, if they see one side of the field is locked down, they're like, okay, great. How can we turn that into an advantage for us? Because we don't even have to pay any attention to that corner who can make the big play. And sure, that means that we're maybe not targeting our number one receiver, but here's our very close number two receiver who had 800 yards instead of a thousand last year. And we're, and we're going to work him out of the middle of the field and using sort of shorter underneath options that are away from wherever this corner is. And instead of just thinking of the field, um, vertically in two sides, you are now thinking of it vertically and then halved into quadrants instead of just one side of the field and the other side of the field. Now you're able to work it in quadrants and you have three out of the four quadrants available to you to work the passing game. And you're not even, you're not even going toward that lockdown corner on the far side that you, that you very much want to avoid. Mm -hmm. So teams being able to turn that into an advantage 
is something that this defense, Sean McVay and Brandon Staley, both very much wanted to avoid. Instead, they're, they're going to say, okay, you're not going to throw to Jalen. Well, we're going to actually maybe put Jalen right up in your face, <laughs> you know? So, and, and it's so, and, and I'll, I'll tie this up because I am in danger of ranting for a long time on this, but I, I really am disappointed, I think, in people who still come into my mentions and say, I'm, I'm, I've had it with him in the middle. He's, he, you know, blah, you know, this, this is too cute and, you need someone guarding this person. I'm worried about this guy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. chances are most of the receivers that you see now are not staying in one spot, first of all. So why should the corner, right. first of all? Second of all, if you can open up every single quadrant on your field to the threat of your lockdown corner, you have to do it every single time. Right. If you aren't, I, I laugh at you. If you're the coach who says... <laughs> You know, we're just going to maybe keep him on one side. You're only playing with 10 players and not 11. End rant. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You, you, do you yield back the balance of your time? I, I yield my time. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't really say anything. I, I, I think you said it perfectly. I don't, I don't understand why people would complain uh, about that. It, not only does it make sense in theory, but seeing it on the field, um, it, it makes sense. So again, if, if perfection is your standard, then you're, you're always going to end up a little di- disappointed in any player in any team. But uh, to see how this is working out, uh, I, don't, I don't know how you could argue with it. And it, it's interesting because, you know, when the Rams got Jalen Ramsey last year, they obviously, they didn't have Brandon Staley. I don't, I don't even I don't know at that point whether Sean McVay was contemplating a change in defensive coordinator. I have no idea. Uh, but it, it's funny how that ended up working out so well. I, I have a lot of respect for for Marcus Peters 
in the game that he plays, but I don't see Marcus Peters doing this stuff uh, if, if he's on the roster right now. Maybe he could, maybe maybe he proves me wrong, but uh, to, to get a guy like Jalen Ramsey who fits this, this skill set so perfectly and then to have a coordinator who, who knows how to take advantage of it, again, maybe, we'll see. You know, again, there, there, there's going to be bigger tests to come, so uh, maybe things won't work out quite as well as, as we think they do or, or as they've as they have so far, but I don't think you can argue it uh, to this point. And uh, credit to, to Brandon Staley for for you know coming up and scheming that up, and and credit to Jalen for uh, for executing it so well. Uh, Jordan, you know, let's maybe let's pivot to to the offense a, a little bit because um, hard for me to judge. You know, we we started out talking about you know judging the defense on a curve. Uh, because the Chicago Bears offense isn't very good. Uh, so do we p- apply the same standard to, to the Rams offense? Uh, they, they do put up 24 points uh, against a very good Bears defense. And, and knowing that in the past two matchups in, in 2018 and in 2019, uh, the Rams only totaled 23 points in those two games. Now, not the same coaching staff, not the same personnel, but this was a, a Bears defense and uh, some uh, specific players who had given the Rams offense a lot of trouble in the last couple of years. Um, so again, I know we're, we're going to talk about some things that, that maybe weren't perfect, but how do you grade it o- overall? Did you think that was an, an above average performance from the Rams offense or, or just maybe slightly above average? Um, I think, I think maybe like a, a B minus sometimes okay. wavering on B plus. Um, and it just kind of depends. I thought that two minute to four minute on either side of the half was an F. <laughs> what was going um, on, by the way? Not uh, I don't now. Know. I'm interrupting you, and I'm I'm sorry. No, that's but please. I want to hear your rant. Now. I sat me, there I, like going, "Are these guys trying to like just out puzzle the other one? Like, what is going on here? Like the 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 Rams have a chance to take a timeout, which I think would have left like about a minute and forty. Uh, on the clock, yeah. if if I have that right, and they don't take a timeout, and then the Bears punt to the Rams ten with about a minute left, and you go, okay, there's no way, like there, there's only a minute left. They got to go, you know, ninety yards, and we know they're not going to attempt a long field goal probably, uh, so they're going to take it into halftime, and then they start throwing it, and and Goff almost gets picked off like twice, and I'm going, gosh, you guys, like, what are you, what are you doing here, anyway? Uh, yeah, I, I agree that that was a very puzzling, uh, uh, sequence there, but, but the Rams were able to get away with it. Yeah. And Sean McVay, it was actually kind of funny. So, you know how sometimes coaches, like I think Cliff Kingsbury just did this this week. Some coaches will go into their press conference and reporters will be like, Hey, you know, good question about a good positive thing, positive question. And then they'll, they'll ask about a miscue or a mistake. And then the coach will like, clutch their pearls and be like, <laughs> is anyone, and Dabo Sweeney does this too. Is anyone going to ask a good question? It feels like we didn't even win. Oh my gosh. And, and I'm like, okay, save it. First of all, second of all, what I think is really funny that Sean McVay does instead is like yesterday was a very, I think, decisive win. As people are asking about some of the characteristics and moments in the win, Sean McVay kept bringing up this two and four minute period. (laughs) 
And he kept going like, you could just tell it was such a bad taste in his mouth. Like he just kept going like, I cannot wait to work through that. It wasn't even the topic at hand. I think I asked him about, um, what they did, certain things that maybe he could share that they did at practice to sort of up the urgency all week last week because they lost so bad um, against San Francisco and then came out and, and were very definitive in their in their win against Chicago. And he started out by saying, yeah, the, you know, we the urge, urgency, urgency practice. And he ended the entire sort of monologue by talking about that two and four minute and how terrible it was. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, thank you. I mean, it's good. You know, yeah. self-awareness is good. But I was like, okay, Sean, like you're teeing yourself up here. Like you don't, <laughs> we didn't ask you, you about just that. know he's like walking yeah. the dog this morning, just still muttering about that, about that sequence. And then two not minute, to get, four minute, two minute, four minute, not, not to get too <laughs> sidetracked because we, we do want to talk about the offense, but then I'm sitting there going, okay, it's fourth down and they, then the bears don't make the Rams punt. Like they, they, they could have caught, they weren't going to do anything, but you never know. You can have a bad snap. You can, you know, you can go all out and try to block it. You, any number of things could happen. Right. But Matt Nagy is just like, no, nah, I'm good. We'll, we'll just go into halftime here. I'll, I'll keep this time out in my pocket and, and not make them punt. And it looked like they showed the sideline and it even looked like McVeigh was kind of standing there like, we're going in really we're not we're not we're not gonna punt like and i just thought gosh these two guys like they both didn't know what to do with that last like two minutes of of the half but anyway yeah very very strange so yeah it was it was like textbook overthinking i think on both sides and we see sean mcveigh get into this sometimes when he veers out of what what, how can i scheme my team to do well and what is my team doing well and he goes more into what do I do to outfox the other coach? And, and so that was just a, and, and I was on with Chicago radio this last week and they were asking me about that very topic because apparently they see that happen a lot with Matt Nagy and, Mm. and, um, who is a great coach, but also does tend to overthink sometimes. And so, um, they were asking me about that and I was like, am I looking in a mirror right now? And it just was, um, it was really interesting because they, they literally can extrapolate some of those moments where they see maybe some of the overthinking happen. What I also did not like about that period was it did not seem, and please pardon my crassness here. It did not seem very ballsy. And I would really, I would really like to see some of those flashes that we did see in Buffalo, when they were down by so much, but playing with a sense of, listen, like, we're just going to go for it. We're just going to, we're just going to kind of all be on the same wavelength and we're just going to be sort of gunslingers and really just do our thing and do our thing and not worry about the fact that we're down 25, not worry about the other team, not try to do the chess match with the opposing coach but we're just going to go for it. Like we're going to regroup and just go for it. And, and I think that there are some instances where I wonder, I wonder about that because I, I think that you don't see Jared Goff get many of those opportunities to do those things. Right. Am Mm -hmm. I, am I, am I kind of accurate in that? I mean, I've only been here for um, a few months, but (laughs) it just doesn't feel like Jared gets that, that many opportunities to do it. Um, he's pretty even keel. Like I have no, Yet, I have no real reason to believe that he couldn't if they if they did. I mean, I thought he played really well in those moments against Buffalo. Right. Right. So I'm I'm kind of like, well, 
go, why don't you go make something happen? Why don't you, why don't you assert, you know, and, and we know what it looks like. Right. So I, I guess I don't really take the conservatism, um, in terms of, because, because also we've given it, we've been given a taste of what the other stuff looks like too. We saw Sean McVay basically just go to his roots, um, in that Buffalo game and really just kind of throw out the constructs of what he believes, you know, coaching and conservative, conservative decision-making and protecting, you know, X, Y, and Z, you, you kind of just some throw it out. And he was just like, let's play some freaking football. And right. I, I think I would like to see that more from the Rams. I think they're capable of it. I, I think I would like to see that more, particularly in those types of situations, because I think that could separate them, especially when they're going up against these NFC West teams who are playing these wild games. You just have to make the most of every single possession. And that would have been a great opportunity. I mean, you look back, I know we're, we're dissecting a very small part of a, a game that the Rams ended up winning, right. but it could have gone the other way. And, and you, you look at it, okay, I'm, I'm looking at my notes right now. They, they get the sack, uh, right? They get, they get a Leonard Floyd sack uh, with just about a minute, uh, about a minute 45 left on the clock. They have two, two timeouts still in their pocket. They don't take one uh, and the Bears punt. Uh, with 108 left in in the half, but the Rams are backed up to their 10. And it was just like, and then they went for it. You know, then they tried to actually kind of move the ball down the field. And that's a great example of what you're talking about there, Jordan, is if if you take the time out there, you make them punt, you get the ball with maybe, I don't know, a minute 40, even if you're still back there at the 10, it's like, all right, now let's go for it. We're up 10 to three. If we score, if we drive down and score, we just, we're going to, you know, really kick them in the gut. They're going to be down 17 to three. We're going to get the ball to start the third quarter. We can put this game away. Like that's a real kind of aggressive uh, attitude about it. And uh, it, it just kind of felt like they were trying to, to split the difference a little bit. I, I'm not sure why you don't take yeah. the time out there uh, if, if you are intending to, to go for it a little bit, uh, because they certainly would have had more time and, uh, you know, they could have gone tempo and, and just tried to speed it up and, and move the ball. But I don't know. It, it seemed like they were kind of caught somewhere in the middle between, yeah, we, we kind of want to go for it here, but right. we kind of don't. And when you're caught in the middle, as we know, that usually, you know, it, it doesn't lead uh, to, to anything yeah. very good. Commit to commit to something. something yeah. <laughs> it could be a complete disaster, but at least you've gone all in, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like I think so. And, and, and if you're worried about interceptions, maybe don't, I mean, the, the decisions that Jared made, a couple of those passes were um, not great, mm. but, but maybe put the football on the ground or, um, hey. you know, run, run some, of the, <laughs> what, <laughs> or run some of the things that are success, successful with some of your veteran players and your consistent players. Um, yeah. Or shoot, give it to Johnny Munt, man. Like <laughs> that guy stepped, that guy stepped up yesterday. But, but yeah, we're, I mean, I know we're extrapolating, um, four total minutes in a, you know, in a long game, but, but it is important because in those moments where you have an identity crisis, those good teams capitalize off of that. The yeah. bears, I don't think are a good team, so they didn't, but right. you know, in, in moments where you are having suffering an identity crisis on the field, that is when a good team will capitalize and, and they will not have that leeway moving forward. So, yeah. um, 
I, I really liked you. You talked about tempo, Rich. I really liked that play they ran with Josh Reynolds and, and honestly oh, yeah. that drive where they went tempo a couple of times and then right at the very end when maybe they were not expected to because they saw a cover zero blitz and they worked on a play in practice where Josh Reynolds switched places with the running back um, and then was able to sort of peel out off to the left and, and get a step on his guy out of the backfield. And, and they went tempo and they probably wouldn't, Jared Goff said after the game that they probably would not have been able to execute the play. Um, and we've actually seen a similar play fail when they did not go tempo. Mm. And so now that they, they're basically running the exact same play, but they went tempo on it instead. And, and it was a Josh Reynolds touchdown. I thought that was, that was great use of tempo. And on that drive, they went tempo a few times as well. And, and that I think was the right sort of sprinkling. Um, you know, I know I love my, my food metaphors is like the right amount of, of Parmesan cheese on the pasta. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I could tell as soon as they kind of the, the way that they broke the the or the way that they ended the previous play and they were kind of eyeing that Bears defense. I was like, okay, they they got something going here. It wasn't actually right. until after the touchdown that I, I noticed that, that Josh Reynolds was in the backfield, which was a really nice uh, touch. And, and the way that they read that, I mean, just that was that was a great play and uh, a really really nicely um, executed as well. So, uh, you, you, Jordan, so you know. I'm an unreliable narrator on this subject. I, I admit, I admit my own biases and my own, uh, uh, you know, the way that I see the game. the The play calling, I, I or the, the not just the play calling, but but maybe the whole the whole scheme, the whole design of of the offense against the Bears. I kind of came around um, because you know, again, I, I thought, you know, I, I tweeted in my usual snarky way. Um, you know, you you run the ball twice. To start the game, you get 16 yards and then you pass it six straight times. I'm like, there you right. go. That's here. They, here they go again. Uh, but the more I watched, the more I kind of sat back and and saw what Sean McVay was trying to do. I kind of thought, okay, I, I kind of get it now. And uh, I, I think he felt like he maybe needed to do something different uh, against that Bears defense, maybe than they had done in uh, the previous couple games, again, going back to 2018 and 2019. And, and this was indeed a very, very different, uh, you know, type of game plan and a different type of uh, attack. But uh, what did you think? They, they still, I think, got a little bit pass happy at times. They, they did come back to the run, obviously, when they were uh, trying to run out the clock, when they had a two touchdown lead, things like that. Um, the run game was very effective. So was it uh, you know, was it, was it just enough? Was it, was it not enough? Was it, where, where, where was the balance there? What did you think about the way that, that Sean McVay tried to run that offense? Um, there's a couple things. I, I agreed with you with being confused about the amount that they were passing, um, in terms of the choppiness of the rhythm of it, um, and, and sort of how it started to skew, but then they, they reestablished, Malcolm Brown and he scored a great touchdown and that really got the, them going. Um, they really did. I think some, some, some nice things in terms of some of their route concepts. Um, what I really liked was all of the boot protection that they gave Jared Goff because they, they did it. I, I mean, every, it was like, man, I, I have a hard time hearkening back to a game where they've used more of that. And, they really were affecting that defensive line in doing so. 
and and Jared has the receivers who can then kind of get open downfield and and then make plays even if it's a shorter pass make plays happen after the catch and and I thought that was really well designed because that's I mean there was not you come into this game and and this defensive line is such a formidable opponent and it's like the number one thing circled on the whiteboard is is this defensive line and so I really think they they executed those protections very very well I thought that was smart um in terms of some of the the rhythm of the calling I don't necessarily I think I was with you where I was confused especially that first that first drive I was like what a fiasco, right? And and then, but then they settled in. They settled in, and I think Sean found his rhythm. Um, Jared Goff, you know, he was a little erratic, missed a couple of easy throws that I think he normally would make. But you know, he 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 ended up settling in as well. He did not, of course, put them in danger of losing the game at all. Right. And and so I think you know, all around, they they got it together. I think I'm still. Sometimes when you see a play caller and in the past with Sean McVay coached games, you you can really feel that rhythm. It's not that you know what's coming, but you feel the rhythm of it and the comfort of the players who are in that rhythm. Um, I'm having a hard time, I think, sometimes with these last few games in in, in finding that with from Sean. And I, and I don't think that's necessarily like he's calling the wrong plays. I, I, I don't want to go that far. Right. I, I just think that I'm just having trouble. And I'm like, if I'm watching it and I'm having a little trouble establishing that cadence, I wonder how it feels to play in it, you know? And so I, I it's just something to think about and kind of keep an eye on because I, I do think that they did some really, really nice things on offense. They obviously put up 24 points on a defense that was only allowing 19.3 per game coming into the game. So they did a very nice job in that regard. They have a, you know, they're, they're a very complete defense. It's a, it's a phenomenal defense, the bears defense. So, you know, even if the, even if they are as a team are fraudulent, that defense is the real deal. So I think there is a lot to hang your hat on in that regard, but you know, if Sean's bringing up some of these things that were sloppy in his press conference, I'm going to do it too. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like those are not off limits. And so I have yet to see, I think, a fully complete offensive performance against a really good defense. And I don't think Monday night was it either. Although I think there were some, some promising things again, in terms of when they went tempo, uh, not when they didn't go tempo, when they maybe should have, but instead when they went tempo on some of those drives. And then also, um, you know, a couple of the protections that they designed for Jared Goff um, and, and then getting, you know, maybe lesser heralded playmakers involved when, you know, they're missing Tyler Higby with the hand injury and then getting Josh Reynolds involved as well. Malcolm Brown um, doing a nice job and really, again, not them. They didn't find opportunities for Cam Akers, but again, both of their running backs through most of the game were averaging five and respectively six yeah. yards per carry in terms of Malcolm Brown and then Daryl Henderson. So at that point, it's almost like, that combination might have been the hot hand in that regard. And so you don't really go away from that and take reps away from those two guys. Um, so they're still working that out as well. They're running back by committee. I think it's still, it still counts as a committee if you do it with two, right? Does, is that sure. like the definition of committee? Yeah. <laughs> 
a party of two. A party of two. Yeah. Uh, Running back party of two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I, I'm kind of all over the place, Rich, because I think they are too. So, um, you know, but, yeah. but that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you can streamline the edges, then it's okay to be all over the place because it's hard to plan for. But you, but you got to streamline the edges. And you can't, like I said, you can't have an identity crisis midway through the game. Right. Because good teams will capitalize on that. Right. And and what you're talking, it is it is a very difficult thing to, to describe, but it's like you know it when you see it. And when you talk about yeah. that rhythm and anybody, you know, if Rams fans have watched the last few seasons, you saw that in, in 2017 and 2018. And that was really a big difference last year. It's just they just didn't have that. And that was like a season long problem. I mean, it it got better here and there in, in different games, but that was a problem throughout last season. And I, I thought early on we'd, we'd, uh, we've, we've seen glimpses of it. We've seen more glimpses of it this year uh, than, than we did last year where you kind of go, okay, that's a, that's a Sean McVay drive. That's, that's the kind of drive that the, that the Rams want to have. And you've, you've already seen it more this year, I think, that, than you did all of last year. But, uh, but I think they can still uh, stand a little bit uh, of improvement there. I agree 100% with you uh, about the bootleg uh, and and just getting him in the, in that comfort, getting Jared in that comfort zone. He did a very good job. He he was he was you know a little bit uneven, but the one thing he did a very good job of was was spreading the ball around. And yeah. talk about Josh Reynolds. I mean, he gets he leads the team with eight targets, ends up with four receptions for uh, team high fifty two yards. But across the board, there, I mean, uh, you look at the receptions. Cooper Cup six. Uh, Josh Reynolds and Gerald Everett, four. Johnny Munt, three. Robert Woods, only three. Uh, Daryl Henderson with two. And the targets, again, nobody more than Josh Reynolds, eight. And they had one, two, three, four, five different uh, guys with with at least three targets. So very good job of, of moving the ball around and, and doing a lot of things. And, and those guys did a, a good job as well. Johnny Munt. Uh, you know, like you I said, know. comes out of nowhere with with three catches and and Josh Reynolds with some some nice catches. So it, it wasn't one of those games where it's uh, you know Robert Woods and and Cooper Cup or bust. Uh, they they had uh, quite a few people making plays, and we didn't even mention the fact, by the way, that the Rams didn't play with uh, they played without Tyler Higby, who wasn't able to go in that game uh, because of his his hand injury. So you would think coming in, wow, that's that's going to take away a big target. That's going to really impact what they do. Uh, but other guys were able to step up and, and it really didn't, you didn't really feel that loss. Uh, I, I don't think uh, during the game. Um, so credit to those guys. You know, we really love having you guys comment on our podcast and share our feedback. Yesterday, Bryson Hopkins was active for his first NFL game and we got some player X tweets and that really made my day because you guys are just the best. We love interacting with you and, and that you guys are enjoying what we're recording for you. You can go subscribe to The Athletic and also to the 11 Personnel Podcast um, on The Athletic, their app or the website. And when you do so, you get one of my favorite things in the world, Rich. What is it? You get a great discount. I love a discount. Don't forget to also go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us there. You can leave us a review, hopefully five stars. Um, You can also write us a note. We read everything and we love interacting with you guys. Um, Make sure you guys are keeping up with us over the next couple of weeks. We've got some really fun stuff coming out for you, some features, some great podcast interviews coming up as well, sort of uh, on the state of the Rams, but a, a very deep dive, a smart look at the Rams. And thanks again for listening.